Hi, friends. It's Lara. Before we jump into the episode, I want to take a moment to thank you for being here and to remind you that your support is what makes this podcast possible. As podcasts have moved from being independently produced, like this one, to being produced by more big media companies, it's become a lot harder for us independent producers to raise money from sponsors. We simply don't reach as many ears as shows produced by iHeartMedia or Spotify. And so listener support is even more important now than it's ever been. So if you're finding value in the show, we'd be grateful if you supported it by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash she knows the way. You can buy us as many coffees as you'd like. And by coffees, I mean dollars to allow us to keep producing this show for you. Again, that URL is buymeacoffee.com slash she knows the way. You can hit pause right now and head on over there. We'll wait. And thanks. I think one of the assumptions that I have made is that what I value from work has to be set in stone. I have to figure out whether I value freedom or flexibility or stability or creativity or interesting projects and interesting people. What are my work values? The more time goes on, the more I have realized how much those do and really should shift based on what's going on in life. Hi, I'm Lara Dolch, and you're listening to She Knows the Way, a show about deciding what's next when doing what's expected no longer feels right. You've probably heard that old saying, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. For years, conventional wisdom around that first part, finding a job you love, was to do something with purpose and meaning to you. But as we reevaluate how work is working in the wake of the pandemic, I wanted to ask a different question. What purpose does work serve in our lives? In other words, what do we want work to do for us? Adrienne Granzella Larson was the first managing editor at The Muse, a website that helps people navigate their careers. So she's facilitated a lot of conversations about work. But Adrienne has been on her own journey to define and redefine the purpose of work, both before and after her years at The Muse, with some surprising revelations along the way. Like many of us, Adrienne started noticing patterns and developing ideas about what work is supposed to be like as soon as she landed her first job. When we're starting in our careers, we assume that, you know, for some people, and for me personally, it was, I would prefer not to have to move back in with my parents. So I need a salary and some health insurance and, you know, enough money to pay my rent and my gas and my, and my debt. I have a lot of friends who are lawyers. And that first job needed to be, if they weren't going straight through from, from undergrad to law school, that first job needed to be, what is going to look good on my law school applications? What is going to prepare me for applying to law school? And, you know, the money paying the rent, their rent was, was secondary to that kind of purpose. And Adrian's lawyer friends weren't the only ones thinking this way. I think, especially early on in my career, but I think it happened even later on in my career, I assumed that I needed to always make the right next step. The step that would get me the next job, the step that would position me for, you know, what I thought I ultimately wanted. 
joining the company that would look good on my resume for future employers. Early in her career, Adrienne found herself in a role that checked both of those boxes. It made her money, and it was a stepping stone. She was working a corporate job and supporting her and her husband financially while he was in law school. But then a freelance side hustle led her to an opportunity that she couldn't stop thinking about, and that began to shed some light on a new purpose for her work. This was, you know, 20, 2008, 9, 10, 11, so jobs were not easy to come by. I needed to be paid well, to pay for both of our health insurance, to be the stable breadwinner. I also really was itchy for more writing, more creativity, to dive more into the digital communications that were happening all around us at that time. And I knew that's what I wanted to do kind of after this job. I knew I couldn't leave my job while I was the breadwinner, but I started freelance writing on the side for other digital publications and figured this is a way to build my skill set in this area so that when I am ready to leave, I have this body of work. During that time, I met the founders of The Muse, Catherine Minshew and Alex Kapalakis. They had a company prior to The Muse, and they hired me to do some freelance writing and editing. That company shut down after a year, I think, and they started The Muse and said, you know, we want somebody to be here full time with us. Will you come be our managing editor? I didn't think I could do it. I mean, it was a more than 50% pay cut. I was the first employee of a startup. I did not think that I could make it work financially, but I couldn't get it out of my head. What I'm hearing is that you had this primary, more practical purpose, which was the financial stability for you and your husband and the healthcare and, and all that kind of stuff. But then parallel to that, you were also building this writing portfolio. So you had dual purposes, right, going on at that same time. Now that you had this opportunity to serve that other purpose, how did you make that decision? For me, it was a feeling I couldn't shake. Historically, when I have made decisions, I used to get really analytical and make a pros and cons list and talk to all of my friends and kind of map things out financially. And for, for this and, and for many decisions I have made since, it's a gut feeling I can't shake. And it was that it was something I needed to do. Even though Adrian could hear loud and clear what this gut feeling was trying to tell her, she wasn't ready to abandon her lists, not to mention her financial responsibility within her marriage at the time. So Adrian gathered her crew, friends, trusted coworkers, and others in her network, to talk through what she should do. Adrian says she has a vivid memory of having those conversations, trying to make this decision, because at the time, she was living in London for her husband's internship. We were there for a month, and I was still working on East Coast hours. So I would kind of bop around London in the morning, go to museums, ride the double-decker bus and see the sights, and then come back to the apartment by 1 p.m. to be online for the start of the East Coast workday. And I would work until about 9 p.m., and then we would pop down to the pub that was right underneath our apartment. But so a lot of these conversations were happening either at the end of the workday or afterwards. So it was very dark outside. And Matt was still at the office often because, again, he's a lawyer. And, and so I just I, I remember kind of pacing around this London apartment in the dark, having all of these furious conversations. What kind of fears were popping up for you? I think the fear of 
losing stability was a big one. In every job I had had before that, I had a real sense of stability. At the time, I was not saving a lot of money. I was still in my late 20s, had just gotten married, was paying off wedding debts, was paying off credit card debts, was paying off school debt still. And there just wasn't a lot of cushion. So the idea of cutting my salary down felt very disconcerting, felt very unstable. At the same time, the idea of letting this great opportunity pass me by was a fear of what if this doesn't happen again? Or what if this doesn't happen again anytime soon? Here's the thing that really got me. When I was thinking through all of the fears, one of them was, what if I join this startup and it doesn't work out? And they run out of money and I am without a job. And my answer to that was, well, I'll just go back and get another corporate job. And when I realized that I, at that very moment, was living my worst case scenario, it was very clear that I needed to at least give this a shot. So Adrian took a chance. She allowed her career to be about growth and creativity instead of stability. She spent the next six years in New York City helping to build the muse. Her work flourished, and for a long time, so did her satisfaction. Until one day... I'd wake up in the morning in my apartment in Chelsea, on a beautiful tree-lined street in Chelsea. I'd walk to the subway, have a podcast in, get in the subway and start my day very nicely and take the subway a few stops and would come out in Midtown where our office was. And there was a two block walk from the subway stop to the office. And it was like every step was trudging through cement. I just dreaded going there. When we come back, Adrienne shares what led up to that day and how she knew it was time for work to change yet again. Hey, it's Laura. I wanted to quickly pop in to tell you that I'm keeping my ears open for individuals and organizations who want help launching their podcast. As you may have guessed, my team and I specialize in developing and producing podcasts that amplify the stories of women and their allies. Shows like this one, She Knows the Way, and like Black Her Stories. But we're also open to working with any mission-driven individual or organization that wants to use audio storytelling to captivate, educate, and inspire their audience. If that sounds like you or someone you know, visit laradolch.com for more information on our podcast strategy and production services. When we left Adrian, she was walking toward her office down 7th Avenue in Manhattan, tears pricking behind her eyes, trying to sort out why she felt so miserable about a job she had loved for years. I was there for six years, and it was my baby. I was the, the first employee. I built my entire team. I helped build out the company, too. At its peak, was about 150 employees. Was very close to both of the founders, very close to my coworkers, very glued to the mission of helping people figure out their career paths and succeed at work and beyond. For a long time, I really felt like I had the best job in the world, that there was nothing else that I could be doing that would be better than this. At the same time, I started to realize that I was dreading certain things about my days and the ways that I was spending my time. I was no longer writing. I was no longer even editing most of the time. I was working on some interesting special projects, but most of my days were spent in meetings. And I'm an introvert, so spending a whole day in meetings is incredibly draining. 
especially in New York City, when you don't go home to a, you know, nice, quiet house, you go out, you go to work events, you go to drinks, you get on the subway, it's constantly stimulating. And it was month, I mean, honestly, it was months of this, months of me trying to figure out why I wasn't happy every day, I wasn't excited to go to work. I would tell myself, well, this is weird. You have a great job. You love your job. You love the company. You love your coworkers. And yet my body was having this reaction of, ugh. So it really took me some time, too long, to realize <laughs> something about this is not working and maybe it's time for a change. Did it occur to you at that time that perhaps the purpose that work serves had shifted in some way? Was that even a, a conscious thought at that point? Not at that time. So what I did with that you know, realization was I started talking to other companies. I started interviewing at other early stage startups. And my thought process was, well, I loved building the Muse. So maybe I need to go to a smaller company and help them build. Maybe the, the company is just too late stage. I need to go back to an early stage company. And so I started talking to all of these startups. And it was only then when I was having conversations about being hired to build their content team, build their operations that I realized the purpose of work in my life had shifted. Joining the Muse was about taking this opportunity to prove to myself that I could build something, to create something that wasn't there in the world. And I did it. And I realized that I didn't need to do it again. And in fact, when I was talking to these other companies about doing it again, the thought wasn't exhilarating. It was kind of exhausting. Adrian says that she slowly realized that she was craving something that any startup employee will confirm is in short supply, freedom. I remember the first vacation that I took, Matt and I went to Morocco, and every evening I would come back to our hotel and sit on the top of our Riyadh overlooking the city, and I would get online for two to three hours. And this was with, you know, weeks of preparing for this vacation in advance. I was always able to get on a plane and fly back to California and see my family, but there was never a day off. I remember at one point I started giving myself Sundays off. Like I wouldn't work on Sundays, but I still had to work on Saturdays. So I was overworked for many, many years, had not taken vacations and trips until my five-year mark at the Muse, they, at the time, gave a one-month sabbatical to employees who had been there for five years. So I took a month off, like fully off, left the computer at home. And that sort of awoke this, I need more of this in my life. I need to re-engage with my love of travel, with my love for activities that do not involve sitting in front of a computer screen, with people from around the world, not just people in New York City. So it was after that sabbatical that I came back and really started thinking about how do I get more of this in my life. With freedom and flexibility in mind, Adrienne considered her options. Around this time, her husband got a job offer in London, and Adrienne saw an opportunity to shift into consulting or freelancing, since landing a job in the UK as an American might be tough. But her husband decided not to take the job in London. And I realized when he didn't, I had a sinking feeling, not because I really wanted to move to London, but because this opportunity to freelance and consult was then wiped off the table. So Adrian regrouped. Her initial disappointment quickly turned into an aha moment. She thought, why not go freelance now anyway? 
I no longer need work to serve the purpose of financial stability. After seven years at the Muse, I had saved a lot of money and I was ready for something that was more free and flexible, even with the loss of stability. That was fine with me at that time. Realigning to freedom as the purpose her work served eventually led Adrian to build her own business. And once again, she thrived. Adrienne's creative content studio brought the best of her to her clients and allowed her to get back to the work she loved, writing. But being a business owner doesn't always give Adrienne the freedom she anticipated. How has being a business owner been different than you expected or imagined it would be? All the ways. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think even when I have worked for myself, I have gotten into a place where I have felt stuck or... Like I'm not spending my time on the things that I want to spend my time on or that I have lost control, whether it's I've taken on too much work or I've taken on a project that ultimately wasn't the right fit or have taken on a project that was a right fit. And then it sort of changed complete directions. On paper, everything looked fine. I had my own business. I was working with great people. I was working on interesting projects. And yet... There were days when I was dreading sitting down at my computer or days when I felt really chained to my desk or chained to my email. Adrian was working with a coach at the time. And when she told her coach about this chained to the desk feeling, her coach was like, hold up, something's not right. Well, she may not have said that exactly, but she did tell Adrian. If you say that you like all of these things, if you say that these things are fueling you, but you feel chained to your desk, there's something that's not working. And maybe it is the content of the work. Maybe it's how you're working. And as it turned out, it was a little bit of both. I think having that realization forced me to do two things. One of which was get super clear on who I wanted to work with and why. In terms of both the types of company, what they were doing, the industry they are in, and the qualities of the people who run them, the qualities of the people who my clients would be. And really look for patterns in what makes a great project for me. So identifying those things was super helpful. But the other thing was challenging myself on how I worked. I was saying that I valued freedom and flexibility and travel and the ability to get up in the middle of the day and go for a bike ride or go kayaking. But I was still playing by the corporate rules. I still felt like I had to be answering emails from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., working Monday through Friday, only taking an hour off for lunch. When I realized that that's how I was working and and what I was doing, and that I had all of the power in the world to change that, it was super eye-opening. And I started changing a lot of the ways about how I worked. Yeah, isn't that funny? I can totally relate to that too, just that hangover from having been in a situation where you don't have control of things. It's very hard to shed that. It's so hard. And and I think especially in a client, you know, a technically client services role, I used to feel like I had to play by their rules, right? Be online on their time zone, communicate in their preferred manner of communicating, be super responsive, answer every email within the hour, within a couple of hours. And playing by all of those rules meant that I was playing by none of my own, which meant that I was not doing my best work at all. I want to pause here to call out Adrienne's intentional questioning of who she wants to work with and how she wants to work with them. Even if you're not in complete control of these things in your work, it's worth asking yourself what the ideal state might look like. Because you might uncover unexpected ways to align the way you work with the way you thrive. 
Like many of us, Adrienne reevaluated her work and life when the pandemic hit, and a personal tragedy also highlighted what was important to her. Has your perspective on the purpose of work changed since the pandemic began? It totally has. And for me, it was not just the pandemic, but right after, it was June of 2020, I lost my Uncle Larry, who was one of the closest people in the world to me, super unexpectedly. So that, even beyond the pandemic, was this, it was a life-shifting moment for me. The summer of 2020 was a, was a life-altering, work-altering moment for me in a couple of ways. I think the first was, oh my God, life could end in an instant. This could be my last day on the earth. And if it was, how would I feel about how I spent the day? How would I feel about how I spent the week, the month, the last year? And the other was really reflecting on his life. He was a firefighter and he always used to say, I have the best job in the world. And for him, the purpose work served was so many things. He was he was obviously driven by the purpose of helping people and saving lives, but his best friends were his co-workers. If you picture a firehouse in the 80s with a bunch of guys making spaghetti every night and telling jokes and catching up, and that was his life. It was the, the camaraderie that was there was this deep purposeful and meaningful part of his job. At the same time, this job allowed him to live life. It was shift work, right? When you're off, you're off. He spent that time in so many different ways that were also meaningful to him. He was a big outdoors guy, so he would ride his bike 10 miles a day and then come home and go for a kayak ride down the river and then he would kind of cruise around to his different friends and family members' house and help them garden or help them pull weeds or just say hi to an elderly neighbor or help somebody with a something with their horses that needed to be done. And then he would go over a couple times a week and have beers with the other guys from the firehouse who were also off. And he would call and text people who lived far away all the time. He just had this really rich life outside of work. I mean, he was so intentional about both his time at work and his time outside of work. And I just felt like this is a moment in life when I can use that as a model to shift everything I'm doing and think about how do I want the time at work to look? What is fueling me during that time? And then how do I want life outside of work to look? We're not all cut out to be firefighters. And the things that added joy and meaning to Larry's life won't work for everyone. Trust me, no one wants my help with their garden. But this insight about Larry's clarity and intention is worth revisiting. And Adrian says, worth revisiting over and over. I think one of the assumptions that I have made is that what I value from work has to be set in stone. I have to figure out whether I value freedom or flexibility or stability or creativity or interesting projects and interesting people. What are my work values? The more time goes on, the more I have realized how much those do and really should shift based on what's going on in life. For me, finding ways to regularly tap into what do I want? What do I need? What do I want and need from work? What do I want and need from my time outside of work? And how do I move towards getting that has been a much more valuable playbook than coming up with a set of rules or even a set of values that will guide my life and work forevermore. If we're lucky, Money doesn't always have to be the primary purpose of work. 
Like Adrian, we can prioritize freedom, flexibility, or something else. But even if we don't have that privilege, Adrian says there are ways to make work support the lives we want. I'm curious what you would say if someone feels like it's time for something to change, but they can't quit their job or doesn't want to go out on their own as a freelancer or business owner, what what advice would you give them? I think a lot of people are feeling that right now because stability and financial stability and health insurance is so, it's so crucial. It's so important. And you know, the last month, right, we have seen the job market completely change. It used to be everybody's resigning, there's a million job offers, all these companies are hiring, and that just very quickly snapped into many companies are laying off 15 to 20% of their staff, or they have a hiring freeze. So people are even just within the last month, I think feeling more stuck in their jobs than they have in the last several years. I think a couple of things. I think... When I have felt particularly stuck in a job, and that is for me and for so many people, it's just this like unsettling, really icky feeling of feeling trapped. There's a couple of things I've done. One, again, is looking for the things that fuel you outside of work, whether that is taking on a side project or going for a hike. Just like leaving your house, setting really good boundaries with work so that you're not spending any more time than you absolutely have to working, adding other things into your life. I think there's also a lot of opportunity and more opportunity than people realize to make your current job a slightly better one or a job that is a slightly better fit for you. I've had employees come to me and say, there's this part of my job that's really draining to me. Or on the flip side, there's this part of my job that I'm really enjoying and I would love to do more of. Either way, those conversations have helped me restructure the team where people are just doing more of what they love and less of what they hate. And I think most reasonable managers are open to that conversation. And it's not going to, things don't change overnight and you're never going to be able to remove all of the things that you hate off your plate. But I think a lot of these conversations can be had or at least started in even the most corporate environments and even the most like stuck in environments. Of course, being able to shape our work to better support our lives takes intention. And while moments when you feel stuck and you're crying as you walk down 7th Avenue to your office are sometimes necessary to spur change, Adrienne shared some ways that she personally gets clarity before those moments of crisis. I think for me, I often come to those answers through writing. What I'm feeling like, I really don't know how I feel or I I really don't know which way I'm leaning. I do the morning pages exercise from Julie Cameron's The Artist's Way book and just grab a notebook and have no expectations for what's going to come out, but just start writing about how I feel or something that I'm processing. And often I'll look back and think, oh, there's the answer right there. The other thing I read the other day that I loved, I read this book, Oh, William by Elizabeth Strout. It's a fiction book. But one of the things that one of the characters said was, there are very few decisions to be made. When I'm trying to decide what to do, I just look at what I'm doing. Mm. Kind of look at my behavior, look at my patterns, look at what my body is doing, look at how I'm feeling. And I think tapping into that, at least for me, is very helpful. I feel like my mind can spin in a million directions or I can get very caught up in what I should do or like, why am I feeling this way? But looking at what I am actually doing and how I am actually feeling when I'm doing those things. 
With all the headlines about how work has changed for us collectively since the pandemic, I appreciate Adrian's lens as a way to zero in on ourselves amid all of that noise. Of course, we've all changed alongside these major shifts in work culture, but we might also have new preferences and needs that have nothing to do with those broad societal shifts, allowing space for our new personal work values to emerge, even if it's within our current job feels like a way to honor ourselves and to view work as a tool for supporting the individual paths we imagine. Special thanks to Adrienne Granzella Larson for speaking with us for this episode. If you'd like to connect with Adrienne, you can find her at her website, societycontent.com, on Instagram at Adrienne Granzella, or on LinkedIn. This episode of She Knows the Way was produced and edited by me with help from Jennifer McCord. For more episodes, hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening right now. And if you'd like to stay in touch, email us at hello at laradolch.com to tell us what you want work to do for you at this point in your journey. Finally, if you know someone who could use help reimagining the purpose of work in their life, please send this episode their way. Until next time, trust that you know the way.